First John chapter 3, and this morning we're going to be just looking at the first three verses of First John 3. Listen now to the reading of God's holy word. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself, just as He is pure. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. O gracious God in heaven, we, we do praise You and thank You for Your word. We know it is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And we thank You for this passage that we come to this morning. And we just would ask that Your Spirit would give us understanding and insight. And we do pray, O Lord, that as Your word goes forth in the power of the Spirit, that would find within each of our hearts here that rich and fertile soil which will bring about a great and abundant fruit for your glory. We pray now for your blessing upon your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Well, it's so easy to take things for granted. Right? And usually it's not until we until we lose something, or we might come close to losing it, that we realize how much we value it. And this could be true of, of our jobs, it would be true of maybe the, the full functioning of our bodies, uh, various rights, privileges, and, and benefits that we might enjoy as citizens. And of course, it also would include those close to us and our relationships with them. See, we tend to lull ourselves into a, a false security or an outlook that will always have these things with us. And so we may not give due attention or express our gratitude for them as frequently as we ought. And then over a gradual period of time, or more often, sometimes very suddenly, these things are taken away from us and we're we're filled with a great overwhelming regret and a, and a whole series of all oh, I should haves, which can plague us for a long time into the future. Well, this should then remind us to truly always be thankful for what we have and take the time to enjoy, care for, and appreciate these things while we have them. But there are certain things that we may possess, which we know we'll never lose. And yet, these two were often more prone to take for granted. And this, of course, includes things like God's great love for us. That the most holy and righteous God, the sovereign creator of heaven and earth, that He so graciously and abundantly pours out His perfect love and mercy upon undeserving sinners such as we are. 
even this great everlasting gift can be taken for granted. Yes, we know it's there, and, and we think about it occasionally, and maybe once a week some people will think about it at least. But how much do we really appreciate it? How often do we spend time just simply meditating upon the wonder of it all? And respond with an outpouring of gratitude and praise to Him for His great love toward us. Well, this is the challenge that is set before us in 1 John 3, where John calls us to to take the time and to consider this great love that God has for us. And what it means for us, not only now, in this life, but for all eternity. John begins here with a command to behold, or to look and see, to consider intently. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. What a wonderful thing to behold and meditate upon. The great love of God the Father that He has toward us. What should we consider about this love? Well, the interrogative expression that is used here is is often in contrast or in the context of, of asking what sort or of what kind something is. And it especially implies that it's something foreign to you. Right? Something that with which you've had no prior experience. And so for example, you hear a person speak a, a a different language that you've never heard before and you wonder to yourself, well what kind of language is that? Where's that person from? Or you go to, to some exotic restaurant and, and they put a plate of food in front of you and, and you're looking at it and you're saying, well, what on earth is this? And so when we apply this to the love that God the Father has bestowed on us, we're amazed and, and dumbfounded as to its uniqueness because it's truly foreign to us. We've never seen or experienced anything like it. Now this perfectly describes the love of God. An an unconditional, endless love. A a love that showered upon us who, because of our, our sin nature, were unlovely. And yet God's love still flows abundantly toward us. I mean, who ever heard of a love... That's given to one's enemies. Right? That's given to one that has uh, spurned truth and righteousness. That deny it. Even denying the existence of the one who's giving that love. Now to our society today, of course we know that there's, there's much talk about love. Things like all we need is love or love trumps hate or that very subtly nefarious love is love. And you'd think then with all this talk and discussion of love, well then we would actually see lots of love around. But but we don't, do we? There's an abundance of hatred and and violence and abuse and angry biting words and the tearing down of of fellow human beings with, with whom we may just disagree. With all this talk of love, we very rarely see it, or at least we very rarely see true love. 
This is because our culture, our culture's conception of of love is very limited, and it and it lacks things like patience and kindness, humility, gentleness, understanding, selflessness, and enduring commitment that defines true love. That kind of love that Paul so wonderfully describes in in First Corinthians thirteen. That the kind of love that that never fails. Instead, we see people falling in love. And then they seem to just as easily fall out of love. Love in our society is is very fickle and and insecure. A quickly passing emotion. And of course it's very often self-centered. But who ever heard of a love where one is actually going to lay down his life for those who don't deserve it. A love that presses on and endures not only through the life that we live and all its trials and challenges, but a love that will endure even on through death itself. Paul affirms in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates His own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. When we're still sinners, rebelling against God, when we're His enemies, when we were haters of His truth, God poured out His great love upon us through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. A love so unique and so foreign to us that Jesus gave Himself for those who hated Him and mocked Him and abused Him. It's beyond what we could possibly ever imagine. The everlasting, gracious love of God the Father in Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, behold, consider, and by faith see this amazing love that has been bestowed upon us on undeserving sinners. This is the love that that John is pressing us toward here. That we ought to, to see it and behold it and never take it for granted. Because there's nothing like it anywhere in all the created universe. And there never will be. But this great and amazing love that God the Father pours out upon us through Jesus Christ has a very specific purpose and result. As John continues here, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. See, God's love poured out upon us results in, in sonship for those who are His. And in 1 John, in, in John's Gospel, in 1 uh, John chapter 1, verse 12, we read regarding Jesus, but as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name. See, if we by faith receive the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord, we receive the right to be called children of God. 
if we've been humbled in our hearts, convicted of sin by the Holy Spirit, and that we have confessed our sin and our inability to save ourselves, and if we've cried out in faith to God for salvation, believing and professing the name of Christ alone, we have the love, this love of God, and we're able to be then called children of God. Again, Paul <clears throat> says in Romans 8, verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. See, if we're children of God then even greater blessings await us. Brothers and sisters, behold and consider the love of God which is even now bestowed upon you. That you should be called the children of God Most High. Children that are loved and cherished. Children that are provided for and taken care of. Children that aren't neglected, forsaken, or tossed aside. But children that are a blessed delight to the Heavenly Father. And we are God's children if we believe in Christ. Not just in future glory, but even right now. We should be called children of God because if the love of God has been bestowed upon us, then we're indeed, then we're indeed children of God having been adopted into His holy family through Christ. And John is so adamant about this that he repeats it again in verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. Beloved people of God, now, even at this very moment, we're most definitely, irreversibly, eternally children of God. Consider this glorious thought for a moment. This is a great benefit that we can enjoy in the here and now in the present time. Have you considered this blessing? Do you realize and understand that because of God's love poured out upon you, that you are sons and daughters of the God of all creation? Somewhat of a humbling thought, at least it ought to be. Praise God for His grace and mercy that we should be called children of God. And so we're children now. But there are even still greater blessings that will come as John continues here. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. See, so right now, we have faith in Christ. We're adopted into God's family. His love has been poured out upon us. He calls us His children. We're children now. But John says here that we shall be something more in the future. Now, of course, the only problem is we don't know yet what that more will be. Right? It's not been revealed. And we're not going to find out until it happens. This is the great hope, of course, that we have for the future. If we're unbelievably blessed now as, as children of God Most High, well, think about it. We still have something greater to look forward to. And here John gives us the basics of, of what we do know. 
right? So that, so that as we're waiting and anticipating what's going to be revealed, well, here's things that we do know, things that will help us to not be discouraged as we carry on through and journey through this life with all its difficulties and trials. But it will encourage us to remain in that state of hopeful anticipation. John now relates four guarantees for the children of God. The first three are related to the great hope of the future, and the fourth is a reality of the present time. But these are things that we know for a fact. And the first is that he, that is Jesus, will be revealed. Note carefully what John says here in verse 2. Behold, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when, when he is revealed, right? It's not if he is revealed, as if it's, if it's going to maybe happen or maybe not, but when he is revealed. It's a certain fact that Christ will be revealed. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ will be at a day and an hour that's unknown to us. So of course, that we know many people uh, try to predict this culminating uh, uh, event and they all have failed. And it's true that we even today, we, we look around, even as the early Christians did, and they, they looked around and they could see many signs and wonders and things indicating that he's coming and that the end is drawing near. Many people today thinking about what's going on in the Middle East are, are getting all anxious and worked up. Well, oh, Jesus is coming soon because of what's happening. Well, Jesus is coming soon. But in every age, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Always pointing us to that time that Jesus will return. But none of these signs tell us exactly when Christ will return. Jesus promised his disciples before his death that he was going to rise again from the dead on the third day. And guess what? He did. And then later he promised them that he would come again in glory and power and gather his church and judge the world. And he will. Because being the truthful, reliable word of God come in the flesh, Jesus is the keeper of all promises. Now, we may be tempted to be discouraged, though, especially since this promise was made some 2,000 years ago. And, and since then, we, we're looking around and we see the world is, is going deeper and deeper into, into darkness, away from the light. We wonder, we may be tempted to doubt in this promise that Jesus will return. But look around. We're still here. The gospel is continuing to go forth. Even in, in places where uh, there's great persecution of, of God's people. The gospel is continuing to go forth. Light is shining in, in very dark places. It continues to shine. But what we need to know and understand. That at the appointed time. When the very last lost sheep has been found and returned to the Good Shepherd. Well then, 
Christ Jesus will return. It's guaranteed. Which is one of the reasons why we see all that's going on in the world around us. We ought not to get caught up and distracted and wondering, oh, is Jesus coming back? And what's his... No, don't worry about that. Focus on proclaiming the gospel. Because when that last one comes to faith in Christ, it's when Christ will return. He's given us a mission to do. Not to be distracted by signs and wonders, but a mission to proclaim the gospel to the lost. And Christ will return. And so this we know. The second guarantee is that when He appears, we'll be like Him. Now we wonder, well, how is this going to be? Well, first, our resurrected and glorified bodies are going to be like His. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 40, and it's kind of a long passage here. The Apostle Paul says this, There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. So also is the resurrection of the dead is sown a perishable body, but is raised an imperishable, imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Then in verse 47, he says, The first man, that is Adam, is from the earth, earthy. The second man, Jesus, is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly, so we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Behold, I tell you in a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this imperishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. Paul's saying here that we shall be like Jesus after his resurrection. That we'll have a, a glorious immortal body when he returns again and we're resurrected from the dead. But we shall also be formed and fashioned not just with a body like his, but after his likeness, even in our nature, who will be glorified even as he is glorified. And friends, this was... This was God's plan from, from the beginning, even before the beginning. In Romans 8, Paul says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many, many brethren. Before all creation, God determined that his people would be conformed to the image of his Son, Jesus Christ. Paul also says in 2 Corinthians 3, But we all, with unveiled face, behold, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So we're being formed and fashioned, even now, in Christ's likeness. This work of love will be completed and come to perfection upon Christ's glorious return. And of this we can be assured. Paul says in Philippians that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. And so we know we'll be like him when he is revealed 
because we're actually going to be able to compare ourselves to him because we see we're going to see him just as he is and so this is the third guarantee that we're going to see him as he is now Paul declares in 1 Corinthians 13 that we only see in a mirror dimly right that's we only see now in a mirror dimly but soon when Christ comes again we're going to see him face to face as beloved children of God we're going to see our glorious God and Savior face to face as he is in all his glory and splendor And you know what? The great thing is, we're not going to have to turn away. We won't have to hide behind a rock like Moses had to. And when he was only shown the the very back portion of of God's glory, we're going to see him face to face. No rock needed. We're not going to have to cover our faces with a veil because we're going to see him with our very own eyes. And you know what the great thing is? Some of us here have failing eyesight. Some maybe can't even see at all. And yet when Christ returns, you will see Him with perfect eyesight in all His glory and in all His wonderful splendor. And you'll see Him and stand there in His glorious presence forever and ever. This isn't going to be a vision. It's not going to be a dream. It's going to be a very real and certain reality. And we can't even imagine it. right? John, in in the book of Revelation, gives us these these glimpses. But as you read through through the book of Revelation, you see that John himself is, is struggling to describe the glory. Because it can't fully be described with human words. But one day we will see it perfectly. Because we'll see our Lord Jesus perfectly. And so we may not fully know or understand what we're going to be like. But we know for certain that we'll see Him as He is. And we're not going to be ashamed. Wonder of wonders. Not only are we His children right now, but we have this indescribable, glorious future awaiting us. And this is guaranteed. But there's one other guarantee that we have to look forward to. But this one isn't in the life to come, but we shall experience this even now, and perhaps very likely some may have already experienced it as children of God. Back to verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Friends, if we have the precious and abundant love of God the Father given to us, and we're identified as children of God, well then the world is not going to know us. And because they won't know us, they will reject us. And yes, they will persecute us. 
And we can see this even in our own nation where the name of Christ and those who are identified as His are, are held in scorn, right? There's a, a big drive to remove God from the public square, the, uh, the increasing intolerance of those who, who preach tolerance toward those with whom they disagree. And suddenly, if you say you're a Christian, or you publicly talk about your faith, well, then you're just labeled a bigot, a hater, or a hypocrite. Basic biblical truth and doctrine is described as hate speech. And those who speak these truths are assaulted and canceled. Such assaults, we know, will only get worse as religious liberty in our nation is eroded. But this shouldn't surprise us. Because when we see this happening, and we see it, we need to be reminded that it's simply the world expressing the fact that they do not know God and they do not know His children. But the challenge for us is to be reminded that again there's a cost to following Christ. Right? It's not an easy road. Jesus tells us that if you want to follow me and be my disciples you must deny yourself, take up your cross which is a picture of death putting yourself to death your sins to death and to follow after Him. It's not an easy path to walk. Indeed, there are many temptations, even seemingly sound arguments others can make to, to tempt us to take another path that looks easier with less trouble. You see, if we're called children of God, we need to stay focused, knowing that there's only one path that we're called to follow. And it's often fraught with many difficulties and challenges. Jesus was careful to warn his disciples of this cost in Matthew 10. He says, Now brother will deliver a brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Hated. Because we bear the name of Christ. And again, some of you may have experienced that already. Beloved God, we can take heart because we're not alone in this rejection. You see, the world isn't going to know us because it didn't know Christ and it rejected Him. Gospel of John, chapter 1, He was in the world, Jesus was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. See, if they didn't know the Teacher, they didn't know the the one who created the world, through whom the world was created. And they despised Him and persecuted Him. Well then, why should His disciples and followers and those who profess His name today, why should we expect anything different? And so when we're rejected, when we're despised, when we're persecuted because of the name of Christ, because we're children of God, let us be reminded of their apostles' response in Acts 5, after they had been beaten, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. And so we see that this rejection by the world is also a guarantee for those who are children of God. 
But there's one final clarification to be made in case it's been missed. Verse 3. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. See, these guarantees are, are for those who have their hope fixed on him. That is, fixed on Jesus Christ. It's not a guarantee for all people everywhere without distinction, but only for those who have the eternal hope of Christ in them. Those who have experienced the love of God by the power of Christ's life-giving spirit. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. Only those who believe on Him have the love of God bestowed upon them. Only those who have this love are called children of God. And only those who are children of God have the everlasting hope of the glorious things to come. If you have this hope and keep this hope alive, John says here that you purify yourself. Now this purifying oneself refers to moral cleanliness it's it's comparable to what paul says in philippians 2 verse 12 therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed not as in my presence only but now much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and then the apostle peter adds this in second peter 1 saying therefore brethren be even more diligent to make your call and election sure you see it's the spirit's continued work in us to sanctify us and to make us more and more holy it's how we persevere in faith toward holiness and Christ-likeness indeed by the power of the Holy Spirit of God working in us we work out our own salvation we make our calling and election sure we purify ourselves by holding fast to the faith and the hope which he's given to us It means we flee from doubts and uncertainties and cling to the revealed truth of God that's sure and certain. The truth of His great love for us. The truth that we've been adopted into His family through faith in Jesus Christ. The truth that we shall truly see Him as He is in all His glory and we shall be like Him. Beloved of God, our hope just as our faith is to be active and unrelenting, showing forth and confirming what God has given to us. Because we're going to be purified and cleansed, just as He Himself is pure in all things. And it all begins with His great love toward us. That love that we don't deserve but He has graciously given to us in Jesus Christ. Beloved of God, consider this and behold this love which God so wonderfully has bestowed upon us. Don't take it for granted. Meditate on it regularly. Be humbled by it. And give all glory, honor, and praise and worship to God because of it. That you may truly glorify God in all your life for his glory and his praise he loves us and he will glorify us when Christ returns let's pray a gracious God in heaven 
How we rejoice and give thanks for this wonderful reminder of your great love for us. And Lord, we can look at our own lives and we examine our lives where we have come from and where we may be even now. And we acknowledge that we're unworthy. And yet you so loved us by sending your son Jesus to suffer and die on the cross for our sins. That he paid the penalty that only we deserved. And if that weren't a a wonderful blessing enough. But because you bring us from death unto life through faith in Jesus Christ, that you now adopt us into your family. We cry out to you, Abba, Father, and we're your beloved children. And that you pour out your love continuously upon us. And your grace is renewed for us each and every day as we continue to to go through the trials and the challenges of this life. And you continue to have your spirit work in us, drawing us closer to yourself, to that perfect image of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that we're not going to reach perfection in this life, but we can make progress as we await his glorious return. And oh, what glory and splendor and and wonderful blessings that we can't even begin to describe await us when Christ returns. That will be changed and transformed. That we will be like Him in glory, in perfection, and that we shall see Him as He is. What an awesome sight. We should have such anticipation that we we can't wait. But we just praise you and thank you, O God, that you have blessed us with such a, a wonderful blessing. But even now, as we continue to live in this life, we know that there's many challenges that we face and and even rejection from the world, even the rejection from those around us, those whom we may love in our own families. But there's something greater to come that will far surpass that rejection and the pain and the suffering that we endure in this life. And we look to you and we trust in you. And we give all glory and honor and praise to your name as we do. Father, we pray that you would impress these truths upon our hearts by the power of your spirit, that you would draw each of us closer to yourself as we profess and confess these things to the praise of your glorious name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.